I showed Brian these wrestlers dressed as the Ghostbusters wrestling, and he didn't even <laughs> ask me how to watch it. I feel like I've seen enough out of the pictures that you showed me. I get the gist of what happened. <laughs> they came out wearing the costumes. They mm-hmm. were s- sort of kind of maybe pinned by Kratos, and then they beat everybody with proton packs and won the match. No, they lost. The okay. um, the guy so that I, came... I got the I two didn't... pictures reversed. Well, I didn't show you this part, but another guy came out in the State Puff Marshmallow costume. But he wasn't actually their partner, so at the end of the match, he revealed who he really was and beat the shit out of all of them. Well, that's poetic justice right there. Mm-hmm. So the Ghostbusters lost to the Marshmallow, if you're keeping score. <laughs> 40 years in the making, State Puff finally got his revenge. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Brian and Super Friends. I'm your host, Brian Labick, and I was too lazy to think of intros this week, so I'm going to be very boring, and I'm sorry. But joining us for this episode is Andy Stoles. What's up, podcast people? Uh, Mike Bradley's up next. I'm so disappointed in you. I'm sure you would be. And last, Ian Leidick. How you doing? Dooning. How you, oh, how you doing? I get it now. I get yeah. it Oh, now. you saw that meme too? I saw that. No, I created that. I, I highly doubt that. Listen to the intro, everyone, and you'll see how gifted I am. <laughs> um. So yeah, we uh we are. My intro probably didn't sell it very well, but we're here to talk about Dune. Uh, this is the the 2021 version, not to be confused with 1984's Dune. Uh, this is this is the 2021 version from my boy Denny V. Sci-fi epic with a star-studded cast. Uh. I I feel like we should mention too that Denny V I don't feel like is very too happy with Warner Brothers maybe maybe a little bit more happy lately but prior to all of this he made the movie specifically for IMAX and then Warner Brothers decided to release Dune as part of their 2021 movie slate day and date release for theaters and HBO Max so Dune has been promoted as something that's a must see for theaters I think. Denny V has still been talking about how he never envisioned this to be something that you could see on a streaming device, at least for a first viewing. He never wants it to be like something on a small screen on a phone or something like that. It's it's made for the theater, for a big screen. Uh, but here we are, Dune has released in theaters and HBO Max. So going around everybody, how did you watch Dune? Did you make it to the theater or did you watch it at home? Uh, Andy, where'd you, where'd you watch it? Watch it in the theater. Okay. Did you do IMAX Nor- or just a normal, regular? A, nor- a normal theater. Normal theater, okay. Yeah. Uh, Ian, where did you see it? I watched it on my PSP 2000. P- <laughs> did, you, did you only watch it once or twice? Only on the PSP 2000. Okay. Uh, Mike, where did you watch it? Uh, home theater. Okay. Um, I ended up... I made it a point to go see it on IMAX, because that's what Danny V was talking about. So I, I did opening night imax um and then chipped away over two days watched it at home to get a second viewing in so i did watch it twice you went on which is night well it, yeah that friday so no no, 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 no. Oh, thursday sorry, was sorry. opening night yeah 
No, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm getting all my days screwed up. I went Saturday night, so it was opening weekend, not opening night. My mistake. Yeah, I was like, I don't think you were there opening night. I'm pretty yeah. sure I know where you were. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's it, it kind of sucks that it's on, like, HBO Max at the same time, just because I would like this to be one of those exclusive theater movies. But at the same time, after you see it in theater, it is nice to just, if you want to watch it again, hey, it's there. Now I can watch it at home. Like, I kind of I kind of dig that. I just don't think you need to see movies in theaters. I don't think it's... I highly disagree. I don't disagree. think Dune is better in theaters than it is at home. I I would disagree with that. I think I think IMAX, the IMAX screen I thought was really cool. I think the sound design is a lot better than anything I can get at home. I mean, I, I think seeing it on an IMAX screen just proved to me that there's no reason the screens don't matter. I can just watch this at home. Like, <laughs> this wasn't like, holy shit, I can't believe this is a fucking, fucking amazing screen. It's like, no... Nah, it's a screen. You see them all the time. It works. <laughs> so are you going to see any movies in the theater at all going forward? I feel like no, because you don't need to. Like The sound even with this movie, it, at most it was too loud. And I feel like it did a disservice to the movie, if anything. They, I will admit, yeah, there's a, little, a couple dialogue sequences that I feel like were a little bit more difficult to hear that I could make out better at home. But I do like the, the loud, loud booming sound of a theater. And especially for action scenes and stuff like that. And also, when I'm at home, I don't have the guy next to me saying, you excited to see this? It's like, <laughs> no, I just am out here in a pandemic for no fucking reason. <laughs> I you mean, know, you might be. A uh, uh, person I was talking to uh, Tuesday was telling me about their experience in IMAX with it. Where they went and it was like them and their friend and one other couple. And they kind of let it go because it sounded like the person that was talking throughout the whole movie was just so excited because it's their favorite sci-fi franchise ever. And he just kept talking and like telling the person, like, oh, you're going to see what... And he was just so excited and it was cute, but also annoying at the same time because he's talking all throughout the movie. Yeah. And yeah, the crowds in movies are a big reason when I feel like I don't go to a movie. It's because, like, if it's crowded, I'm going to be like, Ugh. But in terms of this specific movie, I don't have an IMAX screen anywhere close by. Yeah. It is a haul to get to an IMAX. I used to have one 10 minutes away. You know, that maybe eventually... The mills? Yeah. The mills didn't open it back up yet? Half of the mills is open. Like, that, that okay. theater they have there. The IMAX yeah. screen and their other really big theater they're not currently showing in. So, if they were to open that back up, I'd be more inclined. It's for things that, like, I've, you know, like, I'm ex I am was excited for Dune, but am I going to drive an hour plus to get to an IMAX screen? No. Yeah. Like, it, it, that's, that's a really tough sell for me right now. I will say, too, like, Saturday night when I went, it was literally packed, like, elbow to elbow in the theater. Yeah, there was, if you looked at the seating chart, there was like a couple single seats places, but that was it. Yeah, that, it, like, I, I don't know. That's, that's why I like that Dolby Theater. You get some personal space. Yeah, it gives you a little bit more uh, bubble, like yeah. personal bubble there. That, that I'll drive an hour for. Yeah. The IMAX Theater just being a bit louder and a little bit taller is like, I, I'm not driving an hour for that. Right. Where is there a Dolby Theater? Same place. Waterfront. Waterfront. Oh, okay. Yeah, their IMAX and Dolby theaters are right next to each other at that theater. Yeah. But the Dolby's like these nice big leather chairs and 
just wonderfully the reclining comfortable. seats and all that stuff. Yeah, it's as comfortable as watching at home. Like no, because like you have other issues. Like you go to the movies, like and there's trailers playing, and then the guy next to you is blaring music with his eyes shut because he's scared of spoilers. <laughs> it's just an, it's annoying. It's not it's not a fun environment. And then he's like. Batman! And you're like, why is he yelling Batman at me? And then, like, ten seconds later, you realize the Batman trailer started, and he's now staring at his knee. I don't, I don't know who you'd be referring to at all. <laughs> yeah. Who could I possibly be talking about? <laughs> I, I definitely haven't experienced this. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like we've talked about it. Like, I go to the theater. I like seeing movies in the theater. But I also want to avoid most of the trailers that have been shown in front of the theater, in front of the movie. So... There are a select few that I have to plug my ears and close my eyes and avoid stuff so I don't catch something I've been avoiding for months. So the easiest way to do that is take a pair of headphones and plug some music in your ear and hide your face. So that's been my my go-to for all the movies that I've been seeing recently. So, you know, heads up to anybody that sits next to me in a movie. You may or may not hear some music during the preview. Uh... What else was I going to... Oh, so, Andy, I found this... We were in the theater. I'm waiting for the... Watching the credits go through. Waiting to see if there's an end credit scene, which, by the way, there isn't, if anyone's curious. Uh, Did but you I, see the the guy with the last name that was mine? Yes, the stereoscopic yeah, coordinator. Like, <gasps> oh, Imra- what was his name? Arden Stoles. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Two is that any Arden. relation yeah. to our boy Andy? Because it looks uh, like it's... I, I don't know. I have no idea. I should, like, like Google that shit. I feel like I caught Stoles, and then, like, my eyes went left to the first name, and I saw, like, the A there, and I was like, hey. Andy! There's an Andy was involved in this name. <laughs> so, no, yeah. I did the same thing. That was, like, the only name that I saw, just because, <laughs> just, like, recognition. I'm like, <gasps> right. fuck. Yeah, so you have, to, you have to do some research. See if that's in your family tree somewhere and let us know. Okay. Uh, Alright, so... Dune, the movie, is based on a book of the same name by Frank Herbert, which was originally published in 1965. Herbert wrote five other sequels until his death in 1986. At that point, his son Brian and another another author, Kevin J. Anderson, have continued to write the novels in the franchise. Uh, 2021's Dune is directed by Denny Villeneuve, uh, who is the director of Prisoners, Sicario, Arrival, which topped my list of top 10 movies for 2016 and Blade Runner 2049, which topped my list of top 10 movies for 2017. So I've been very curious to see what he'd do with this movie. Uh, Screenplay is written by Denny V, John Spates and Eric Roth film stars, Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Dave Bautista, Dave Desmalchin and Zendaya. Current Rotten Tomatoes ratings. Critic score, 84%. Audience score, 91%. Metacritic score, there's the meta score of 74. User score, 8.2. The last I checked, the box office, it had a domestic opening weekend of 41 million. Internationally, it had made 182 million, which puts its worldwide total at 223 million worldwide. Uh, Going back to some of the earlier Dune stuff, either the books or the 1984 movie. Has any of you guys either read the books or saw the 1984 movie? Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Uh, the movie I saw a long time ago. Um, I don't remember a ton about it, but I have seen it. Uh, and the book, same kind of thing. I read a long time ago. Um, I'm probably 15, 
to 20 years ago. I was probably in high school. Yeah. So don't remember a ton. But was anything I had uh, read familiar it. to you or? I mean, you remember the names, the Atreides, the Harkonnens, the, you know, like you remember certain pieces, but yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, um, you know, the events are all like, oh yeah, you know, like when when some, I don't want to, you know, get specific, but yeah, yeah. When, when something happens, it's like, yeah, I, I kind of remember that. Some of them, you're like, I, you don't remember at all, but right, you know. Um, Andy, read the books or see the old movie. Uh, the old movie I remember seeing in the background when my dad was watching it. I was too young to really understand a lick of what was going on. <laughs> that wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> I remember disliking it. <laughs> I mean, you don't need to get into specifics, but has this movie changed your opinion of Dune? Yes. Okay. And we'll dive into that during the course of the review. Uh, Ian, books or movie, have you seen or read either? I watched the documentary Jabberwocky Zoon about another attempt to make Dune. Didn't see the 1984 film, and I have read the novel. Okay. Uh, how I guess it, how well do you remember the novel? Does this stick pretty well to the to the book? I mean, there's a lot of stuff cut, especially some of the heavier political themes and just intrigue, honestly. Okay. And it got rid of my favorite line, which is when um the big climax is happening. I'll say. Okay. Someone says. What is this, some kind of doomsday plot? <laughs> that, is that really a thing, or did you make that up? Made like, that up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you're because thinking about it now. Imagine in Chalamet saying that. <laughs> How many more Dune puns have you wrote? I didn't write any of these down, so be ready. <laughs> you're not. There, there's more Dune puns to come, though. Okay. He's probably just looking at a web page and just checking them off as he goes as we as we go through this podcast. Uh, yeah, I have not read the books. I have not seen the 1984 movie. Like I was going into this, like I had a vague idea that like it's in the desert and there's a big worm, and that's probably because I'd seen a trailer prior to this movie that sort of reminded me of that. But I went in pretty much completely blind to this, so this was all new to me, and I I dug it a lot. Um. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that since it sort of opens the movie, but once the title card pops up, it says part one. Uh, so we just found out early, early this week that Warner Brothers and Legendary have officially announced part two is coming October 20th, 2023. So there will be more Dune. To be um, fair with that, I honestly wasn't sure if they were announcing that part one as part one of this movie. And at some point we were going to see part two pop up in this movie. I wasn't sure at that point whether this was part, the whole movie was part one or if... They were titling chapters in the movie that way. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't clear too. at the start. I thought we might get like a, a Zack Snyder's Justice League chapters type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you know, we're officially getting more. I don't know how many parts they would put into Dune. I don't know if we're just going to get part two and that's going to be it. If we're going to get parts two, three, four, five. Like, I don't know how long it's going to go. Well, but I think that would depend on how many books they do. How much money it makes. Yeah. If it keeps yeah. making money, they'll continue the story. Yeah. So yeah, because it definitely it feels like a franchise in the making. I feel like. I so agree. I don't. But okay, we can talk about that later. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I we'll... feel like they already have a show signed on for HBO Max, don't they? A Dune show. Yes. I don't know if I knew that. Denny V, I think, is doing it. It's about the uh, that sisterhood of the Bene Bene Gesset. Yeah, that, yeah, that one. 
Yeah, okay. I will have to try to research that as we go and see if I can confirm that. Thought I saw snippets of that. That it's might have been announced Dune like Patrol. a while ago, and I just kind of forgot about it. But all right, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to try to look at that as we're going. Um, I guess before we get into spoilers, uh, any general? Let's go through some like general spoiler-free thoughts just to give these guys an idea what we're thinking of the movie before we get into specifics. So, Ian, what do you think? Spoiler-free, general thoughts. What uh, do you think of the movie? I enjoyed the movie a lot. I thought it was a good, fun ride. It wasn't as good as um, Sicario, but it was a lot of fun, and it was better than, I think, Star Wars 7 through 9. Fair. Yeah. I am so confused by the like the references and ratings that we're getting. Like, why are you referencing this to Sicario and Star Wars? Well, he directed Sicario. Okay, but like it feels 40... like you're putting it somewhere between Sicario and Star Wars. And then 40 rating. minutes into the film, the person sitting next to me said, I wanted to see Denny V direct a Star Wars. <laughs> okay. it's, a, it's a point I would make, yeah, later, but yes. That's why. And it's also a sci-fi epic about a hero's journey, so I think it's fair to compare it to Star Wars. I was thinking it's, more from like a like a franchise, like we were talking about how this could be a franchise like Star Wars or something like that. I felt like that was more the comparison he was making. Okay. You got you, you just watch Rewind <laughs> Theater. You understand my rating system. I very consistent. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, that, that, we're fine. You're cool. I got. I, I get it now. All right, so if Mike, it's green, you got to be mean. That's the system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's a good rule of thumb for him. Uh, Mike, general thoughts on the movie? What'd you think? I enjoyed it. Um, I really wanted them to greenlit greenlight the sequel for it. You know, coming off of the end of it, I just kind of opened up and said, like, when are we getting the next part? And at the time, I had finished watching it. There was no information about when that was happening, or if it was happening. It was something that was kind of up in the air. Like, there is no confirmed sequel yet, which was yeah. kind of like, oh, crap, that sucks. And then, of course, since, that has changed. But, um, yeah, generally very good. Uh, Andy, what'd you think? Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a very brooding movie. I thought there were a lot of uh, slow parts, but the slow parts were like were methodical, and they were all, in my opinion, needed. Yeah. But um, I could see someone who who was like vaguely interested in it being like bored. Yeah. I get like you that. Know, like I really wanted to see it, so like the slow, like methodical brooding moments, I thought were really cool because it sort of like built and like added to some suspense and stuff. So. Um, but I almost feel like it's starting to get like Denny V's MO, at least the last couple of movies he's done. Like you think about like Arrival and Blade Runner and they're both very slow burn movies. Like the story isn't action packed the whole way through. It definitely steadily builds to stuff and there's a lot of setup in the beginning. And I obviously have liked those two movies enough to put them at the top of my list. This is another one I enjoyed a lot and it is what two hours and 40 minutes ish. Something like that. So it if it doesn't feel that way when you're watching it, the movie succeeds. If you're looking at your watch halfway through this, then you start to feel the weight of the time. And I don't think it's probably holding your attention as much as maybe you'd think. Uh, 
but I was I was in it the whole time. I, I think it's visually stunning, which we can get into. And uh, like yeah, De- Denny V is a director that for me is somebody that I'm I'm really curious what he does next, and will continue to check out his catalog because I think he's he's a director that's really impressed me over the last five years. Um, I don't know anything else to add generally, or we'll get into just spoilers and dive in. Nothing. All right. Uh, so we're gonna get into some spoilers. If you have not watched Dune and do not want spoiled, pause us now. Go watch the film either in theaters or HBO Max, and then come back to us afterwards. Uh, either way, spoilers to follow. This is your last warning. Wee wee spoiler. Wee wee spoiler. You know something like that. All right. So we are in. Spoiler territory. Uh, typically, the way we do this is we, we at least our reviews recently, we've tried to divide into three categories. So we have a direction story category, actors and characters category, and then whatever else we want to talk about is our third category. So we'll try to stick to those and try to keep our discussions in there to try to keep it moving. And we'll see how we do. Uh, before we actually get into that, I will add to this thing we were talking about earlier, the uh, series for HBO Max. Um Somebody, I don't know, Mike, was that you that sent that? Somebody mm-hmm. found an article? Yeah. Um, that confirms there is a straight-to-series uh, show for HBO Max centered around the sisterhood. Uh, it was supposed to be... Coward. I, I They didn't list... I couldn't remember the name, and they didn't list it immediately in the article for me to read it. What is it, Bene Gesserit? Something like that? Is that the name of it? Yeah. Did I get it right? Sure. Sure, I'll, I'll take it. Uh... John Spaeth was supposed to run the series. He was one of the writers for the screenplay of the movie. He stepped away to continue writing the script for the second movie. So, uh, who else? Uh, Diane Adamu John has boarded the role of writer, showrunner, and executive producer. She is taking over for John Spaeth. Uh, Danny V is attached to direct the pilot. Um, they list a bunch of other names. I can come back to that maybe later. But either way, you are Andy, you are correct. There is a series coming. I don't think this lists a date that the series is happening, but it, it is in the works and is at least getting a first season. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it had any connection whatsoever to the story of Dune, um, but it, it will at least give a little bit of insight to uh, the Bene Gesserit, which affects quite a bit of what happens in Dune. So. Yeah, I feel like it would be work good as like a prequel series. Something that would set up the events of this movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll keep an eye on that and see see when that happens, if we get any more word on what's going on with that series. Uh, Alright, so we'll start with uh, just direction and story for our category. Uh, Mike, do you want to kick us off for direction and story? Anything you want to chime in with? Sure. Um, I'm going to kind of lean more into the story. Um, there's a lot to say about the direction, um, but I think there's important things to note about the story of Dune that we're following here, and I feel like they're playing more into um, and taking the story, I guess, more seriously than the previous movie did. Um, but, you know, there's an allegory within the story of Dune um, about colonialism. And about what happened with Western culture taking over the land from the Native Americans and the, you know, essential genocide that went on there. And they're talking, they're touching on all these things appropriately in this movie to represent what they were doing. Um, 
you know, it's something like I I recommend looking into it and getting full breakdowns on everything. Frank Herbert, um, when he was writing the book, had consulted with Native Americans about lots of things uh, before writing it. And, you know, it's that whole fertile land that the rest of the world, I guess, or universe in the case of Dune, needs. And taking it at any cost for the better of the progress, if you will. Um, I, I find that to be so well done in the case of Dune, in trying to make that political statement that important... Um, perspective, I guess is a good way to put it, yeah. on how things happened and using Dune to tell that story. Um, and the fact that this movie is not shying away from that one bit. Um, you know, we get that uh, from the Baron where, you know, it's like, oh, and what do we do? Uh, what are they called? The natives to Arrakis? Freeman. Furman. You both said it differently. <laughs> well, no, because it's, 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 it's Fremen, but it's three men. Right. Like, it's very on... It's There's not a lot of hidden in the names in this. That's a fair point. Um, But we, we get that, and he talks to... As strange as it is, the character's name is Beast. Um, Batista's character's name. Um, t Talks to Beast about it and says, like, kill them all. Exterminate them, basically. And... You know, they're they're not shying away from the themes the way that I, you know, again, it's been a long time since I watched that old movie. I feel like that old movie didn't really care about those themes. Um, right, okay. So I, I give them a lot of credit. I think they did extremely well with it and representing it. My only issue with this story is we still have to view this as one movie. And as one movie, it ends in kind of an awkward place. Where yeah. it, it didn't feel like that was an ending to a single movie. And I feel like, you know, we discussed it before kind of many times about how the Hobbit movies did that up until the last one. Where they ended and it was like, oh, that's okay, we're just stopping there. Yeah. Um, I don't feel it was as bad as that by any means, but it still had has that caveat of... it. I don't know if it could have picked a better place to end or what it could have done better to meet that ending and the time limit that they wanted and all that. I'm not sure. But it gives you a look forward throughout the rest of the movie at what's coming, you know, through um, Paul's visions. Yeah. You know, we, we get a lot of foreshadowing towards what's coming, and I feel like that helps this movie end better as a part one than I guess the the other example we have really the only one I can think of is the Hobbit that's taking it from a book and cutting it into several movies where the right. book didn't end here you, like it that's not where the book ends yeah. so it puts them in a strange spot where they're trying to tell that whole story from the book and they're having to choose an ending point for a first movie where there wasn't an ending point in the book it wasn't a complete story at that point um, but I think they did a much better job of it than those movies did. Yeah. So it's still awkward, but they did good for what they had to work with in those terms. 
Yeah, when the title card comes up and says part one, like, I still would have liked to have a little bit more of a complete story, or at least some sort of kind of conclusion, I guess, going forward. But, yeah, I kind of felt like, okay, I knew we were in the theater for a while. It's got to be coming up to an end, and it just kind of just feels like it just ends. Like, the story yeah. is meant to continue, and we're just we're just done. Fade to black. What? Okay, uh... But again, I guess that sort of just comes with, hey, but, this is part one, so we're I mean, just going to end. The story did end, like. though. That's how I feel about it. Like, the Trades rule on Dune ended. It's over. That's the end. And then it went on a little bit longer so it wouldn't have Vampire Strikes Back down ending thing. The setup, here's what's coming next. You know, so I, Chalamet joins right. the Fremen and the, the beast animal Batista is coming to rule with an iron fist. So I think I think I caught it the second time. Watching it at home, I think it made a little bit more sense to me why it ended there. Part one, I think, is is the death of Paul Atreides. Like, I think the, the visions you're seeing that he's getting in his... The, the foreshadowing Mike was talking about is... They, they keep referring... I can't remember the name of what they call him, but some sort of messiah or something for the planet. And... Everybody that seems like they come across him, they keep saying, you're not you're not him yet. And leading up to that final third act fight with the the, the Furman guy that challenges him, uh, there's some dialogue there that I don't think maybe I didn't hear it well enough in the theater, but basically saying, like, you have to die to rise and become who you're meant to be. So the moment he kills that guy, Paul Atreides dies, and he is now starting to fulfill his destiny as the guy that is going to be their savior. And I think that's is, done, is the way I'm interpreting it. That's done a lot better in the book because they don't show it in the movie. But Paul cries over that man's body when he kills him because it affects him that much killing right. someone. And at that point, too, I think they also established this part more in the book better. He knows how valuable water is and how much of a thing crying is, it's like showing that deep sorrow because he's losing that water. Right. Like okay. It's much more powerful, I think, established how valuable water is in the yeah. books. Okay. Um, Andy, what do you think? You got anything to add for, for, I guess we'll just spin in with story. Anything? Uh, the, I had, I had difficulty trying to, um, determine what the scenes of Paul's visions were trying to, to, to tell me. I feel like I need to do a rewatch maybe. To, to determine some of like the foreshadowing that was actually happening because I think a lot of the foreshadowing um, or at least some of it is stuff that we still have yet to see really so they're foreshadowing things for, for maybe like the second part and maybe you guys can because I'm on the same page kind of as Andy a little bit too I maybe somebody can explain this to me part of his visions I feel like and especially near the end uh, the the again the scene we're talking about where he fights the guy and kills the guy. Prior to them that fight, he's starting to have visions of who I think is that same guy, and the visions he's having. Like, yeah, teaching him the ways of the desert. Right. Like, so this is the guy he kills that is in his visions is supposed to teach him stuff that he's supposed to learn to survive the desert and you know be one with that their the people and stuff like that. So I don't I don't know if I'm missing something or if there are literally like two competing visions happening to Paul at the same time. One where he succeeds and 
helps be the Messiah and one where somehow Zandaya betrays him and kills him. Like, I don't know if that's part of a, the same vision, if that's a different vision. I, the vision still kind of confused me, like Andy said. Have you ever heard of a little movie called Terminator Genesis? We're using a <laughs> diversion timeline scenario with the visions. They're, unlike Star Wars, there's not one way this can go. This story has multiple paths, and that's what the visions are showing us. But are they going to lead to the same way? Or they like they, no, do they all they, end up the same, or they go different places? No, that's the whole movie is about choice and like what different choices can lead to, and what and Paul like accepting those choices, like um the Ben Jesuit lady, you know the big matriarch lady, right, right, you know says that you know he might he could be he might not be the the one, right? Yeah, and that's all going to come down to how he performs because it doesn't matter. If he does fulfills the role well enough, then he's the one. It's yeah. not like Anakin the one, where there's one person preordained for it. There's a one who's just the person that rises to the occasion. And I, I like that they alluded to basically having a backup plan, which I'm assuming is Poe's mom's yet-to-be-born kid. It could be. I mean, there, it, it could be. Like, the movie and the books focus so much on four planets. Like, the in, like three family. The Fremen? The Harkonians, the Atreides, and the Emperor, right? Okay. Those are, like, what we're presented as is the only thing that matters. But this is a galaxy-expanding empire. That there's so many other ones in the world that could, you know, in the galaxy. So, like, to think of it in that narrow scope of it has to be an Atreides is not what they mean. They mean there's okay. so many people, you know. Gotcha, okay. It's limitless. Like my favorite movie, Limitless. <laughs> <laughs> Today I learned that scene's favorite movie. <laughs> It'll be different in about ten minutes. <laughs> so in the Christmas list. <laughs> so the vision that Paul has of um, the Fremen teaching him the ways of the desert, I feel like actually came true, but not in the way that his vision played it out to be. Mm -hmm. The duel with him in the desert taught Paul everything he needed to know about the desert by that man's sacrifice. And cut with that vision, too. And, You're seeing a lot of characters with bloods on their hands and, like, saying he's got to get dirty. Yeah. So, I, I I mean, it didn't play out like his vision played it out to be like he was, like, he was like, literally going to, like, mm -hmm. take him by his hand and, like, show him what to do. But if you watch the fight, the duel, he goads Paul. Like, he, he knows Paul has to kill him, and he knows he's capable of doing it because, I mean, he had the knife in his throat, what, three or four times? Yeah. And he just kept, like, screaming at him, screaming at him, screaming at him. So that guy knew when he was fighting him that, that, that he needed to make sure that he knew what he was doing. Well, I think it was less that and more that guy was just angry that he was being toyed with by a child. <laughs> I got a little bit of sense of that, too. Like, I, I don't um, think that guy was like, I'm sacrificing myself for this kid. He was more like, fucking finish me. Like, this, this, there's no, like, maybe he was teaching him there's no sympathy in the desert, but he wasn't trying to teach him this whole mystical lifestyle of desert life, you know? It was more frustration with being treated like some, like, like a, not a man there. Like Rorschach yelling at Dr. Manhattan to kill him at the end of Watchmen. I'd say it's more akin to that, yeah. I kind of feel like, too, and maybe it's, I think it's something I picked up on the second viewing, but along with that same vision that Paul was, ha Paul was having, the, 
he I think he envisions the fight too, doesn't he? Like I feel like mm-hmm. he sees a per, a version of that fight where he dies. Yeah. So when I watched it the second time, when he gets to that fight, it's I think it's almost like he knows what this guy's gonna do, so he can predict movements and and win the fight because he knows how he's gonna kill him. I mean, I I think you could take it from that angle. I think it's just another way to think about it though is like what you were saying earlier, where the visions are saying, you know, like you have to die, but it's not a literal death. It's like a death of that phase of his okay. life. Gotcha. And that's what has to happen. His visions aren't like those super clear visions we're used to. I think in a lot of things where literal thing being shown is what occurs. So they're all it's metaphors. More all the visions are metaphors. You have to interpret them. Like that's right, part okay. of the whole thing with the testing him and stuff. It's he has to make the right choices. It's right, a series okay. of choices. Right. So so that Fremen, in my opinion, knew who Paul was supposed to be. He knew that the oh, I can't remember what the great sandworm's name was that just sort of like stared at Paul and like closed its mouth and just like accepted him, really, kinda. That man that he dueled with said, Oh, my thumper saved him, my thumper saved him. But the thumper didn't start thumping until like the sandworm's mouth was closed or like his Intake hole. I don't know what you fucking call that. <laughs> intake <but>. hole. <laughs> Face hole. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in my opinion, his, his goading Paul was less of him being frustrated and more of him basically proving Paul has a substantial chance to be said Messiah. Well, and, and I think it's partially like he can't let Paul win. You know, in that circumstance, he has to actually test him. Like, if this dude is the Messiah, he's going to kill me. He's going yeah. to kill me. And he, you know, he has to learn that harshness of the world in order to know enough to be the Messiah, I guess, could be that character's thinking. Could be that, you know, the motivation there. Um, And, and I honestly think it's a little bit of both. I think the reason for the fight is more in line with what you're saying, Andy. Like, he wants to fight him, and he's going to do it because of that. And then I think the frustration and all that is actually more in line with what Ian was saying, where it's like, this is just a child, but this messiah is weak and doesn't want to kill me kind of thing. Like, Maybe he's not, and I'm pissed off that I still got beat because it's a weak child that just beat me that's not the Messiah, and I'm just that pissed. And I think another reason, I, they don't touch on it, I think, early enough, is like part of the reason for the challenge is they mention at the end, like, one goes out, one comes in. The Fremen really only have enough water to support their current population numbers. So by taking in Paul and his mother, like, two people kind of have to die or leave. So by him, that man dying... That lets Paul come in, and now the mother's less of a burden on everyone else. Like that's See, I don't part think of I too. interpreted that, but that makes complete sense. They I'm mentioned it like that to me. The leader guy that they, you know, that they let them in originally. Yeah, that guy. He mentions it very briefly, like that rule: one in, one out. But that's the only mention of it in the books. Part of it's, you know, you can linger on the words, but like also it's brought. It's. The the scarcity of water is much more heavily enforced in the book. I'm assuming with the movie, part of it's like, do you see any fucking water? No, it's important. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they, they, make they, a they lot do make a point to talk about all the recycled water and how the how everything works to get the water back. But to your point, yeah, I don't. I never got the urgency of like, oh, they're out of water now. 
Like, they desperately need water. I never got that sense. Like, yeah, they put on the still suits, but I don't think it was established the dire straits they would be in without. I don't think that that had enough emphasis, whatever the word is. But like, emphasis. I don't think that's correct. Any like, but like Mike said though, <laughs> trying to help like, me out, asshole. <laughs> having the suits themselves and stuff like showed the scarcity of water, but I I think they could have enforced it a little more, especially in this length of movie. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, and perhaps when they get into the what were the tunnels or the like the underground whatever they had a name for it. Were they like Siax Siax. Something like, so, I, yeah, something I like that. I, I think maybe when we Seeks? get there, seeks, seeks, <laughs> whatever they're called. Seeks. I think when we get there in the second movie, that we may get that emphasis that you're getting at. We may understand better once we see their, you know, their society, uh, in a more complete fashion than just like a band of desert wandering people. When we see them in a larger group. It may be more apparent how dire the need for water is. Yeah. See it being rationed out. You know what I mean? Maybe not wasted the way it was in Mad Max, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the other things for me, just for story, that I made more sense on a second viewing, uh, but I think a first time in, just trying to get a sense of this world, and they start throwing all these different factions at you, and you're trying to figure out what faction is doing what and why. I got lost a little bit on the first viewing. No, I mean, and that's sure. understandable. You're the man who couldn't tell the difference between, hey, there's only three sections in Ghost in the Shell, and you didn't know any of them. So I'm not surprised yeah. that them throwing multiple factions at you confused <laughs> you on your first viewing. They threw out more than two things. But I think what they established <laughs> were point. very clearly, and like I, the book, again, it's not as clear cut but it's very established i think in this film trady's good harconian bad and there's no gray i got it's that very much. clear yeah yeah but i but i also think it was something along the lines of like the harconans were corrupted by the wealth that you know i mean like they achieve, they were given the opportunity to be the tenders or uh well, what would be a better term for that um the colonists. No, not the colonists. <laughs> like, yeah, they're colonists, but I'm saying, like, they were chosen not to be the colonists. They were chosen to be, like, the, um... Didn't he use the term fief in the fiefdom? Yeah. It, you know, the, the thing like that, where they're, they're chosen to be the people to distribute the spice out to the galaxy. And through gaining that wealth, it, it started to turn them, I felt. I don't feel like they were evil and then chosen because they were evil to go and do it. I feel like they became evil through the process of Possibly, thousands of years, supposedly, or no, however long it was they had control. A hundred years. I mean, that's a long enough time. I mean, that's only, like, three rulers. That's a long enough time. I, I don't think you go from, hey, blah, 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 we're fun, cozy Ewoks, the bloodthirsty <laughs> murderers. In a hundred years. We're not saying they're fun, cozy Ewoks here. They're normal people that have good and bad in them at one time. And over the course of a hundred years, their society became so enveloped in the spice that it turned them into people that only cared about that and would kill anything in their way to protect I, it. I take them more as a family that is already bad and then the wealth allows them to be more, to be worse because they now have the power to back up those that that feelings of the the nature of the families and I think that kind of goes in 
with the fact that we're talking about large houses of families, that it's kind of more of a cultural thing than, you know, kind of slow bleeding, turning the wealth makes us worse and worse. It's to first get that option, like for the emperor to pick them to rule the most important planet in the galaxy. They probably already had some ruthlessness to them, I would think. Sure. Again, I said they're not perfect people going into this. I just think it made them worse over that time period. Yeah, I mean, like it, it's just like money corrupts. Absolutely, that's that's a thing. You know? I mean, to to Ian's point, I'm sort of like if maybe siding more with Ian that they were. I feel like they were. At least I'm interpreting it that they were just bad to begin with. And it, yeah, to your point, Mike, I think they did get worse, but I think they were never like, hey, we're gonna see if this works and see if we can figure this place out and govern fairly. No, they were. I think they were shit from the start. But at the same time, over the course of 100 years, they also didn't commit the genocide that they now intend to commit. So, like, it, I would say that's, you know, when we're talking about genocide, you're talking about a steep turn from we're going to, you know, rule over this planet and tell people what we're going to do with their resources to we're just going to fucking kill every living thing. Like, they're, it, like yeah, it's, it's I, a yeah. very I different, mean, that's... It, they're both bad things. Yeah. But it's you know it's like robbery and murder you know it, it, it's you're you're not good for doing either but it takes a very darker turn when you get to the second yeah um uh, anything else for for story from anybody or we'll sort of spin the direction and see what you guys thought of direction i thought we were doing both at the same time i mean but... kind of but we've been leaning into story i i enjoyed the uh story of the doctor yes oh okay yeah yeah who who um was really very much on the Atreides side and, and left as much, I, I don't know if you would call them, um, oh God, I don't know what you would call them, but he left them all sorts of like... Like a go bag. Yeah, yeah, he, he just, he, he set them up the best way he could, knowing that he had to betray them for for the love of his life. If that, if, that makes, if that makes any sense. I mean, I personally, I thought that was the weakest part of the film for me because the doctor is basically in that one small scene checking out Paul beforehand, and then he's the betrayer. Like, part of the thing they cut out from the book is the suspicion building up of who is the... There's a Everyone knows there's a betrayer in the walls, but we don't know who it is, and there's a buildup of that. But in this, it's more like, okay, I'm the doctor, I betrayed you... Like, I don't care that he did it because you don't establish the character enough to care about his, his falling, you know? Yeah. It's just, hey, you're, yeah, your heart rate's good. I killed your dad! <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, there's, there's no transition there. And I think that, that hurts the film in that regard. I think it, it could have worked as anyone could have had that. It could have been an unseen person and it would have had as much impact. The only, like, characters that would have had more impact would have been Momoa or like Roland, you know, the, those are characters yeah. we spent a lot more time with and that would have had an impact, you know, not that they should have done that, but like, you know, if we wanted to have that moment, have a real <clears throat> to it, it needs to be someone that has more than four lines of dialogue. Yeah, I agree. I did like that. And I, I caught it more the second viewing, but when they're, when Paul and his mom were captured on the ship, the doctor must've marked up the seat like put that yep. little diamond on the seat and then uh -huh. snuck the bag underneath the seat, which like I, as the scenes go on and they're in the desert and they unravel all this stuff. And then Paul says, Oh, this is from the doctor. I, I didn't 
I think I put two and two together at that point, but the second time through, I was like, oh, he was leaving them signals the whole way out. Yeah, he was sort of like, like breadcrumbing it or yeah. like Easter egging, you know, like they just like kept following like, oh, okay. Like he didn't, he, he, in my opinion, he, he was trying to let them know that he didn't want to do what he was doing. You know, he yeah. was trying to help them out as much as he possibly could, even though he had to eventually betray, betray them. Yeah. And then it just goes into my, I, I, I get why it has to happen because it moves the story. But I always hate in books when someone goes to the very evil people and then betray someone thinking that they won't themselves be punished anyways right. yeah like you never make it unless it's a turtles film you're not making it out alive because <laughs> the turtles are poorly written but you know that that's like yeah of course he meant i'll you know can join your wife by killing you like duh, duh you, have you seen that man <laughs> I look mean, at him i i think it, it's one of the i think it was like well done but also one of the weaker plot points because it's very much something that's put in there very, um, I don't want to say haphazard, but it's the only word that's coming to mind. Um, so we'll say haphazardly, uh, where it fits in and it plugs this gap that seems like it was unneeded. And by when I say unneeded, it's like, why would they tell him, was it that he was assigned to assassinate, um... What was the name of the House of Trades leader? The Duke? Duke Leto. Okay. So he, he he's given this task of, oh, we'll get you back with your wife if you assassinate Duke Leto or deliver us Duke Leto or whatever. Um, but it seemed from what they did, it, it, it didn't really matter whether or not that guy had done that or not. They would have done the same thing that they had just done. Like, the Harkonnens would have came in, they would have taken over, they would have captured Duke Leto anyways. Well, it wasn't just that. He's the one that opened, like, the shields and sabotaged, like, the base and stuff. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, what, why was killing the Duke part of it? Well, he didn't why kill did the they Duke, need him? though. Yeah, no, but you know what I mean? But why did that need to be? Well, to, I, I think just to make sure he didn't die, like, to preserve him for the, you know, the, the gloating. You know, just so you don't risk someone killing okay. him in the attack. You know, you got him for okay. the gloating. Uh, yeah, all right. It's that sadistic I, I can, nature I can, of the Harkonians. I, I can buy that. All right, that that's fair. Well, I think, you know, to Ian's point, too, they needed a saboteur inside. Like, frontal well, the, assault. The, sa the sabotaging I got. Yeah. It, it was the assassination that I didn't get. Okay. That That's all. Like, why it didn't, like, uh, other than just wanting to gloat, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll accept that. Because other than that, it doesn't matter whether the Duke's dead or alive. Right. Invade. He's dead. He's alive. Whatever. We still took over. Yeah, because I guess the the Baron makes it a point to tell him like your your house is dead, your son and wife are dead, like everything you care about is destroyed because of me. So I think yeah, it was more gloating thing. Yeah, I could I could buy that. Um, I do want to make sure we just get into direction. So just to hit the category, uh, Ian, what do you think of direction? I don't think there was a single shot of the film where I was like, I think someone should have done that differently. I thought everything <laughs> was like just really well put together like you know every shot i think had a reason for why they chose like the angle or the camp you know all of that stuff it was just really beautiful and i think part of it also goes into um just the effects there was so much in this book that's considered unfilmable and they put nearly all of that in this movie 
and they filmed it, and it wasn't weird. Like, <laughs> the shields worked. The Firefly, like, ships made sense. That wasn't weird. They One of my put, favorite parts of the film is those Firefly ships. I think they look amazing. The worms, like, were awesome. They're more dragonflies, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, like the worms are like, like imagine a Sarlacc pit that doesn't suck. And that's what these worms are. <laughs> like they were fucking awesome and majestic and creepy and weird. It's just, it really worked. I, there was nearly nothing where I was like, this was cut, but they couldn't do it. There was like, maybe there's one thing I can think of that was cut because the, clearly he, he, then he couldn't do it, you know? And that's when Paul fucks the worm. That's the only <laughs> thing. <laughs> but I, I think it was masterfully shot. I, I they really did a great job with that. The story, like we've gone over, I think he got Dune is so bulky in that intrigue and so much inner monologue. That's part of the other inner part that considers it unfilmable. He did a good job of switching how we learn this information, so it's still an entertaining movie. Like this yeah. is one of the quickest two and a half hours I've sat through in a film. I fair. I, I thought yeah. it was amazing, and I I'm surprised how good it was honestly nice okay uh mike what do you think direction wise um ian pretty much hits the nail on the head there um the only like notes i have on it uh that he didn't mention um something denny always does great is scale yeah um, show it you know that it, there's scenes in arrival there's scenes in blade runner there's scenes in this where you get that scale of something giant next to something small and you say Holy crap, that looks right. Um, yeah. You know, the the worm with Paul, that was amazing. That shot is so... That's an iconic shot that's going to be, like, scorched into your brain for a long time. Um, Really well done there. Uh, the location choices for, I guess, the home worlds or places or whatever, you like, of the different houses touched so well on what they should have yeah they looked natural they looked appropriate they looked they differentiated these people just based on how they treat the land how they treat everything how they approach life you know the, the atreides come from this very rich lush planet with their own resources all over the place they have no worry about water or food or any of this because of where they live the harkonnens it's a very dark, dreary, drab, technological kind of looking place. Um, and then, of course, Arrakis is Arrakis. It's a desert. It's a and... <laughs> All right, he got it in. But you get my point. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the worlds, I think, are very well represented here in their contrast yeah. from one another. And I think that's very important. To see how these people are different and why they're so different. Um, and uh, the last one I have is that Arrakis is filmed so well it's disturbingly empty. But still it's somehow full at the same time. There's things going on while it still feels empty because it's a desert. But yeah. you, there's still life. There's still it looks like there's more to it than there is because of the way it's shot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Andy, anything for direction you want to chime in with? Uh, I, I enjoyed the pacing. I know I said at the beginning that I, I thought it was like a slow, brooding, and methodical movie, 
but I feel like he, he flips a switch a very, uh, right when the betrayal happens, he just, like, flips a switch, and then the action sequence just, like, takes off, and just, like, it's over in what feels like an instant, because there's so much happening, but he does it so well. Yeah. You know, that, that whole battle sequence is just, like, I felt like, wow, they are just, like, annihilating, like, the Atreides, like, but he, I don't know, it, it, I, f- I felt like he, he, he switched it in a way that usually bugs me, like, it's, like, slow, brooding kind of movie, and then all of a sudden, like, an action sequence, and then it kind of gets a little bit brooding again. Um, I felt like he did a good job of, like, like, flipping the switch and like changing the pacing during those during those moments. Yeah. And I and I enjoyed that. Usually that that kind of annoys me when they sort of change the pacing of a movie like mid-movie. Yeah. Um yeah, I I am probably going to echo a lot of what these guys said. Like I like Andy said I think that he Danny V directs direction or directs action very well. I never felt like I was confused about what was happening. There's no shaky cam and all the other like action movie editing tropes that I hate. In this, I think everything was really well shot. It's visually stunning. Like, Danny V has a way just to suck you into these worlds that he creates. And, like, you're in it. Like, I, Blade Runner did that to me. Like, Arrival did that to me. Not that Arrival is much of a stretch because it's still sort of like modern day. There's just, like, aliens and shit in it. But Blade Runner is another one that, like, you, you're just in the world when it starts. Like, he has a knack for, I don't want to, I don't, maybe world building is a word to use, but... Like, the movie starts, you get a sense of, like, what else is going on in the universe, and you're just kind of in the story and locked in the whole time. And there's not a lot of movies and directors that I feel like could do that to me, which is another reason why I just feel like this dude needs a fucking Star Wars movie, because that's the kind of feeling I get from Star Wars movies, is you're in this world that has all this other shit going on, you're seeing a section of a story, so let's play with something else and see what else is going on. Tell me another side of the story. Like, there's just so much that can go on there that I'd like to see. And there's a lot of shots that I felt like would have fit right at home with some Star Wars aesthetic. Like some of the, when the Bene Gesserit shows up at night in the rain with all these ladies in these dark cloaks with hoods on, like I got Jedi vibes from all that stuff. Like I want to see stuff like that from him. So I, yeah, I, that, yeah, that too. Yeah. Like it's so, it's so heavy in sci-fi and Denny V's nailing sci-fi. Like I fucking love it. Um, I do feel like it's worth pointing out uh, like shout out to the cinematographer, who probably helped him frame some of these shots. Uh, I think it's Greg Fraser. Was that the same guy from Blade Runner? Uh, no, I think uh, Blade Runner was Roger Deakins. I think, if I'm remembering, I didn't look up who the Blade Runner cinematographer was, but uh, Greg Fraser did Lion, which I think was Academy Award nominated, if not one. Uh, Rogue One, he did Adam McKay's Vice. Uh, he did a few episodes for The Mandalorian. We'll be seen again more recently next year with Matt Reeves, The Batman. Never heard of him. I, I feel like you have. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to touch on for direction. That might have been... Oh, the one of the shots, like Andy was talking... Or Andy or Mike, I think, was talking about how the... My, I think it was Mike. The sandworm shot of, like, Paul looking at the sandworm and stuff like that. There's a couple other sequences to me that stood out, like all the stuff with the uh, the big battle when they get invaded and all the ships are trying to lift off and all the explosions are happening. Like just the way the bombs worked, I thought was really cool. Um, 
like I said, I think I, I like the way the Dragonfly ships worked. Like, I don't feel like I've seen a lot of ships in sci-fi look and feel like that. Like, even it's probably part of like the the design and sound effects and like everything coming together. But like, you just get a sense of how the ships work and the weight that's with them and all that kind of crap just from the way they sound and move. And the one shot that sticks with me is when they're looking over the uh, spice miner thing that's out in the desert before it gets attacked by the sandworm. And they decide they're going to go in and try to save the crew. There's music there, they're hovering, and then the music dies. The engine cuts for the engine, and he just dives in, and you're just with them inside the ship as it's like the wind's blasting by, and they're swooping in. Like, that shot alone is like, come on, that's fucking great. I love that. But I just, I feel like I could just rave about Denny V for a while, so I will let someone else take over if you have anything else to add. I think the last thing I want to add is um, you mentioned it with the worm and Paul. I think there were a lot of good shots just when Paul has to do some type of facial thing to another person that just were done really well to bring out that emotion that Chalamet was trying to show, even though he doesn't always have more than one emotion in this film. <laughs> but when he has to do a face to like convey something, they did a good job of framing it so that it's like impactful like it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, like thinking on it, I feel like there was angst and confusion. That was about the two that I remember seeing. That's about two hours of it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right for a teenage kid that's thrust into leadership. Yeah. And also super rich. That, that too. Uh, any, anything else to add for direction? I thought he got good performances out of all of his actors. Well, that's probably a good time. We'll spin into characters and actors and go from there and see what you guys think. So, Andy, take it from there. Just characters and actors, anybody specific you want to talk about for performances or anything? Um, I'd like to talk about uh, Jason Momoa's role. Okay. Um, he was really good in this movie, I thought. Um, sometimes I get like sort of like the bro don't care like surfer kind of vibe from him, you know? But I feel like he 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 didn't do that in this. Yeah, and I, I credit that to Denny V for not letting him do that in this. <laughs> you know, I, I liked his whole arc, and I I really enjoyed uh, the scene where he frees Paul and his mother from being caught again. Um, I thought that was like his Boromir moment. Oh yeah, fuck Boromir. Even though like he he, he didn't really. <laughs> Um, like have to like Boromir you know obviously like tried to catch Frodo and like sort of owed a little bit but I feel like Momoa didn't really owe anything but he still like made the ultimate sacrifice right so right they could be they could be free anybody else stand um, out to you I really enjoyed the the Harkonnen Baron which I think was uh Starsguard. Starsguard, yeah. I, I thought he was really good and, and sort of gross, you know? And I <laughs> Intentionally. Think he, did a, he did a pretty good job of that. Um, I thought the... Whatever was on his back that made him float was pretty cool. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Um, I, I know sort of blending, like, actors and characters, but I'm not sure, like, what those are for people who have read the book. They just call the harness. Light. Okay, and it it just like allows. Yeah, that's that, that's uh, part of it your... too. Is like in the book, it's kind of. Con... 
I actually thought it was a full-on harness system in my head. This makes a lot more sense and is a lot more visually stunning than what <laughs> I was imagining, where it was like, like kind of like, um, uh, what are the like overall kind of like look thing holding him up, but then had like jet propellers on the side. <laughs> then the film's a lot cooler than what I had imagined when I read the book. Is it just meant to be like he's too big to move himself, so yes, it just he helps him get around? Is so engorged that he can no longer move comfortably. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, I I thought Oscar Isaac was awesome. I I really enjoyed his talk with Paul on the uh, in the I'm assuming the ceremonial burial grounds of of the Atreides. Yeah, yeah. Like where his grandfather was and stuff. I really enjoyed like the heart to heart he had with Paul. He's like, "You'll only ever be what I need you to be, my son." Yeah. Like I feel like that like lifted weight off of Paul. Like he didn't like put all of his family's burdens on him. Like even if you don't take it. You're still my son. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciated that little, like, moment of honesty between, like, father and son. Yeah. Um, I'll let someone else run. <laughs> uh, Mike, anybody stood out to you? Um, You know, I, I can't not speak for Josh in this moment and bring up David Desmalchin and how perfectly <laughs> he fit into that small role that they gave him. Um, You're welcome, Josh. I mentioned it. That that's as far as I'm going for now on that because <laughs> he doesn't really do much. There's not a lot really to say there. He gets gassed. Yeah, like he's there. He he's great. Um, but you know when I w- I was taking notes for the role, I feel like they did so well casting because I look at everybody they chose and I and I think to myself like, have I ever seen that person not perform? You know, incredibly well. Yeah. And Jason Momoa was the only one where I could say like, yeah, I've seen him not perform. You know, like, I, I've seen Joss Whedon's Justice League. Um, You know, I, I've seen that, so I can say that. But everybody else there, I mean, maybe Javier Bardem in the One Pirates movie, you know. But even then, he was still pretty good. Yeah. But, you know, the, like, the... I guess, like, the standouts to me would be Timothy Chalamet being my first time actually seeing him in something. Um... I don't know what else he's been in. I have no idea. I learned today that he's... Or not today, but when I watched it, I learned that he's quite a good actor. He did very well here. Um, And Rebecca Ferguson, this is, I think, maybe the second time I've seen her. Uh, The first being in Doctor Sleep. And she was fantastic there. She was pretty damn good here, too. Um... I feel like she kind of fell in not as badly as Zendaya did, but into a category of could have had more to do. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like that's just story related, and she'll have more to do later. You know, yeah. like she had enough. She had a lot more than Zendaya did here. Zendaya oh, was yeah. yeah there, but I feel I, like she's going to be a lot of part two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I feel like there's nothing I can say about her performance in this because there's not really anything there to go on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, other, other than that, everybody was as good as you would expect that, you know, there, there was not really any dud performances here. Yeah. Um, being anybody stood out to you, what do you think? So Jason Momoa has so much charisma. I think some people might think he's the real main character of the film. (laughs) 
blows away Chalamet in the charisma and acting department that it's almost like I kind of would rather watch this movie about him. <laughs> like he's really good at that, being like awesome. The Duncan Idaho spinoff. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and he had like the only good joke in the movie. So that was, you know, like also it like he's the only one that could deliver a joke. So what was the one good joke? There was only one joke and it was yeah, when he says to Chalamet, Oh, you put on some muscle and Chalamet says, Really? And he's like, No, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. What did you think the joke was? No, I didn't know if there was more than that one. That was the only one I could think of, too, that was all over the trailers and stuff, so. Um, I think Oscar Isaac, is like we've mentioned, he's fantastic in the role. He looks much better with a beard than he does without. He should never shave. Um, <laughs> Skarsgård pulled off, I think, the Baron. You know, he, he was intimidating. He felt ruthless. Maybe not as, I think, psychological. Like, as um like a Thronian like a Thron type character with like the ultimate game plan, it was more like I just have overwhelming resources to carry out my devious plans rather yeah. than like some brilliant strategist, which was fine. Um, Batista just stands out too much because I know it's Batista for me to ever <laughs> buy him in a role. Like yeah. it's just very like yeah, it's, that no, that's Batista. He's he's mad and he's screaming. <laughs> so I it's not that he did bad. It's just like. It's it, it pulls. It's always weird just when they try and give him something because it's Batista. To be fair, isn't that kind of the role though? But that's all of his roles, so I don't know. Yeah, no, but I mean, literally, I mean, we talked about it. this. Char his character is literally called Beast. It's the character's name, so it's like. It's, I'm not saying he did that poorly. It's just like it's not just that he yells and screams. It's just the it, that oh, that's clearly Dave Batista. There's never a doubt that the person I am looking at is Dave Batista. <laughs> he never. <laughs> He never gets enough into the role that I forget that I'm watching Dave Batista. Okay. Yeah, that's what I mean I, more. I see what you're saying. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I get it. I Like, I didn't realize that was Oscar Isaac for a while. You know, I thought he <laughs> was really in the character. I was like, that's Duke Leto. I don't know who else that could possibly be. Um, Josh Brolin did phenomenally, I think. I think he did a good job of being kind of that mentor that Chalamet didn't want because it's not his bro Duncan broing down with him. <laughs> but, like, bringing, like, that extra energy out of him of, like, hey, are you fucking retarded? Like, there's a bunch of people about to kill you, bro. Like, yeah. try. <laughs> try. Um, I thought Zendaya so... did really well narrating. Yeah, Andy? <laughs> narrating. I, I figured since you mentioned him, I, I just sort of wanted to get into his character a little bit. Um, did you guys feel that uh, Paul did not care for this guy like when he had to train with him it looked like he was more on edge i feel like that's a kind of normal teenage thing for like a you know a boy to be uh you know kind of whatever about the aggressive male military type you know um coach if you will i guess in our modern day would be a coach to a, a kid to not really understand why the person's so hard on them you know and they kind of take that attitude towards them and then as they grow older and understanding they learn more about why that person was hard on them and so we're talking about josh like brolin right yeah like training with yeah. josh brolin okay i hope that yeah. we were yeah. once you said that because i was like wait and what was yeah. i and, and and i get that but to me it, it sort of it, it goes a little up a little, a little bit uh, higher level where I feel like Paul almost doesn't trust him. Well, I think 
it was like a twofold like one the guy's being hard at him uh duncan's not there his bro that normally trains him and three he really wants to go to arrakis his mind's not <laughs> in it so he's annoyed that not only is he being forced to train because he's not into it he has to train really hard now all of a sudden and he's not like there and he's really on edge about it and that's why this guy's pushing him to always be there like the whole thing he says about always have you don't have your back to a door once again is very heavily emphasized in the book as a big fucking deal and i don't think <laughs> in the movie it's brought up like that one time i feel like you know it, it, as a young boy it's the same kind of thing like you're being you're having these visions of a young girl from another world that has you know it, it, exotic things to discuss with you not erotic exotic it's you know that just means different no one heard that wrong <laughs> I I saw I felt like I got a look. I felt like I got a look. Um but she's also got drugs and you know it's like hey come get some spice and some of this and you're being some called rock this and other roll. world by your dreams. <laughs> yeah, I'd be I, you know if I was a teenage boy I'd be all amped up to get over there too. Like I think that's a normal teenage thing. So I you know I I feel like you're seeing a little bit of that there. Okay. I think it's like the same thing we see with Luke and Lars, where you know he just wants to go out and have fun and not do the hard stuff, the not fun stuff. I th sure. yeah, I think I I'm thinking more like Ian, where at that point in the story, I think Paul's just so annoyed, partially because like he's distracted with visions. His father just said, "No, you can't go with your friend," so he's just told, "You got to stay here and you got to deal with us for a little bit longer, and then you can go." So yeah, I think I think it's more just he's distracted and annoyed and his mind is elsewhere and he just isn't in the mood. Not to be trained by uh Josh Brolin, but by to be trained by anybody. I don't I think it's anybody that walks in that door, he's gonna be like, Fuck you, I don't have time or care about this right but now. But I think then how Brolin treats it with his attitude and his hard nose just amps amps it up like another notch for him. Right. Yeah, yeah teen angst is like just he brings be like, it out a little fucking more. care anymore. Like I yeah. think to Andy's point he wouldn't have had such a negative attitude to someone else, but that's just because of Brolin's attitude, too, in the moment, bringing him up a little higher. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah. And uh, last about Brolin's character, um, did we see him die? I had a note of that. I was going to make that ask that same question, because I feel like he's got it. We didn't see a body, right? He's got to come back. I mean, we I did feel not like... see a body. We did not see a body, and we really didn't like. We we got some like overarching explosions near him and whatnot, but I don't. I feel like we we have not seen the last of him. Yeah, in, I, in, that was my takeaway too. It's a character that he plays so well, like that type of character that you know the military type, serious like just over over the top. I don't want to say drill instructor, but, like, kind of. You know, like, not drill instructor, but that, you know, he he does really well with that type of character in any type of movie that he's done it in. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I, I don't think I chimed in, but I think uh, as far as performances, I think most of, I, I really don't think there's a bad performance in this movie. I think, I think Mike said the same thing, so I'm, I'm bouncing off of his, his thought, but. I think Timothy Chalamet, I think, carried the movie, which is what he need, needed to do. Skarsgård was just creepily evil, which I, I enjoyed. Oscar Isaac was great. Rebecca Ferguson, Rebecca Ferguson was great. Jason Momoa was cool. Joss Brolin, I think, Zendaya, uh, um, Dave Desmolchen, uh 
Javier Bardem. I feel like I wanted more from those characters, but there's a lot of characters in this movie, so it's hard to give everybody a right amount of screen time. And obviously some of these characters we're going to see in part two. And, you know, some of these characters are off the board now in part one. So which should give more screen time to other people in part two. So I'm looking forward to some of these characters getting fleshed out in the next part. But for what we're given in this movie, I don't think anybody did bad. I think everything was was great. Um, one of the things I'm curious about is like they keep name dropping the emperor, some unseen emperor. I don't. I'm curious if we'll ever see that character. I don't expect them to be like. I don't know if they'll make an announcement of who is eventually cast as this person if we're going to see them or if that's a surprise they're going to save for somewhere in the movie. But I. Maybe, Ian, since you're a little bit more f- familiar with the source material, do they ever cross paths with the Emperor, or is it just someone that's always talked about but never seen? Um, just like in my favorite franchise, Star Wars, the Emperor is discussed a lot and is a very central role to the plots, maybe even creating a child that has a vast <laughs> importance to the story. Um, I think if I was expecting how this would play out, I would expect to see the Emperor show up at some point for some type of confrontation that maybe okay. decides the fate of Arrakis because it's the most important planet in the you know, known galaxy, and without it, there wouldn't be an emperor needed because they wouldn't rule more than a planet. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that was sort of my thought. I'm curious how soon we'd see the emperor. Like, is, is the only other question I'm trying to... Not that we have an answer, that's more just, you know, speculatory, but... I mean, if I if... had to pick someone... Not that I think they would be the best in it, but I feel like it's going to be Andy Serkis. That's <laughs> so going to be all CG. Just cast Ian McDermott just to get everybody <laughs> on the same page. <laughs> uh, anything else for, for characters and actors for me? Wait, any any of you guys? Or we'll move to whatever else we want to touch on. I don't. I felt like... Ahead, Ooh. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Andy. Go ahead, Ian. Okay. Um, I don't think we mentioned them, but Sharon Duncan Brewster as Dr. Leah Keynes, I think, did phenomenal. Um, oh, I was just going to say Yeah, that. she, is, her character is actually gender-swapped in the movie, so it's norm- it was originally a male. I thought she did really well in the role. She was that original, like, I can't get involved because the Emperor told me not to. And oh, then, the Judge of the Change or whatever yes, that was. Yeah, that's, yeah, okay. That's literally right. what it's, yeah. So you knew that, but Section 9, I don't fucking know what that is. <laughs> I just watched the movie recently, so that's a little bit more fresh in my mind. Um, so I thought she did a great role in like that her small character arc of the Emperor's gonna fucking kill me if I say anything to I, I I need to help out Paul because he's the chosen one. I thought that was nice and I really felt for her. Unlike the doctor, the other doctor that, you know, betrayed the Atreides, I actually felt for her when she passed. In the greatest way possible. <laughs> Uh, Andy, what'd you have? Uh, I was going to mention her as well uh, as a, a couple other characters. I really enjoyed the um, the duel with Paul, that 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 gentleman that had the duel with Paul, that like, oh, yeah. taught him the ways of the desert. I thought he was really good. Good choice not saying very his name. Limit... <laughs> I don't know his name. No, it's so... really long last name. That's why Brian's okay. going to look <laughs> at it and not uh, say it. <laughs> wait, let me just ask. Babs? Is the character named Jamis? Yeah. yeah. Or Jameis. So Babs, it's okay. So it's Ula wait, it's Babs. Ulusa. U- 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 yeah. Did yeah. you say it, Mike? Yeah. He's Mike said Ula, it. I'll let Mike say it. <laughs> Ulusa Yes, that sounds right. 
I thought he did a really good job uh, with the with the very limited amount of screen time that he actually got. <coughs> yeah, he I, I really he enjoyed him. Maximized his screen time. Yes, yes, I, I enjoyed that. I uh, also really liked. Um, I'm not sure what you would call them, but uh, they're almost like uh, human computers. The Mentats. The, yeah, yeah. The the uh, Atreides computer. Uh, he was like the. Oh, a little bit bigger gentleman with like a white beard, a and... the security guard type of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had he, they always have like a, a tattoo on their lower lip, yeah, or yeah. like both lips, like right in the middle there. I think is, was it the Smallshin that played the the guy for the uh, Harkonnen? Mm-hmm. He he oh, yeah. was also that brand of person, right? Um, speaking of which, I thought it was really cool that uh, there are really no computers in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's a good observation. Like everything is analog, and I think that's that's really cool. Aside from like the, I don't know how they do it, but they you can you can tell their eyes like flip back in their head and they like do calculations and communications and stuff like that. But there there's really no like we're doing sci-fi, but there's there's no computers, and I think that's that's really refreshing a, a take on it. You know, because sci-fi is like all about like new technology and whatever, and we get, we get the technology like we get the uh, the starships and um, the dragonfly ships mm-hmm. and all that, but but none of them are like you can't like set them to autopilot or any kind of thing like that. And I I, I really thought that was cool. I want to build off Andy's point there, like about the no computers thing. There's another big thing missing from this universe. There's no entertainment. Like there's never a point where anyone has like. Casual downtime and does something entertaining. There's no like books to read, no movies to watch, no no one's listening to music. It's just life. Well, there the, the, there was the um instructional video. That's not entertainment. That is instructions. No, no but it, but they have the capacity. For... Oh yeah, they could if they if if their society allowed for it, they could have entertainment. They do not, and I think right. that kind of shows what kind of society this emperor runs that no one even the angsty rebellious teenager doesn't have like a playboy somewhere yeah there's not dancers in any of the even the harkonnens don't have like you know jabba's sex slaves around you know that there's none of that anywhere to be seen and that it's a very totalitarian like yeah brutal and the architecture is very brutal i think it's called brutal like it's it's a very harsh life style, yeah, empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I just I just wanted to uh, mention the few uh, I don't know secondary roles like outlier type actors that I thought actually really did a pretty good job of like like absorbing me into the movie. I think not that it has to do with characters and actors, but Andy, your your point about like no technology or computers or anything like that. Even just the the battles, like I don't think I it occurred to me while watching until now that we're just sort of talking about it. But there's no like laser guns and that kind of thing. Like that's almost synonymous with sci-fi movies, right? Even those bombs were just guided to slow down at the right time. Right. They had fins on them to do it that way. It was which learning yeah, the ins about... and outs of the shield kind of makes sense why there's no projectile weapons because the shields would block projectiles and that's why everybody fights hand to hand. Yep, they did. I mean that would make sense even in. You know, like, it's something that if the world developed it, that's where it would go. Yeah. You can't, there, there's yeah, no way the, to get a slow bullet through a shield. Like, it, it doesn't work anymore once it's slow. The only 
mention of a gun or any kind of projectile thing was actually uh, Paul stole one from a Freeman. Right. Well, and they have those things, like the the thing that like goes up and drills its way through. Yeah. Which is weird almost but like a cool. Dart. It's like a dart. Yeah, it's almost like a dart. Yeah, it functions like a bullet, but it doesn't move as fast as a bullet. It just like it attaches and then starts. What did that remind Boring. me of? Wanted the, the curving bullets from Wanted. No, not the curving. <laughs> no, I'm saying like the drilling through like that. Like reminded me of like. I can't remember what it's from, but there's something where it like sticks and then drills in. Might have been like Hawkeye had an arrow that did that. Maybe. Maybe he's I pretty lame. I can't so. think. <laughs> it was either him or Legolas. I mean. <laughs> I mean, Legolas didn't have like weird arrow tips and stuff that does weird stuff. He did in The Hobbit. Did he? It was in the books, not the movie. They didn't find time for it in the movie. Uh, I can't. They'd... Moving on, because I don't know. I can't call you on your bullshit <laughs> you right now. You did have time to surf on a shield, though. <laughs> um, all right, so we'll move on. Like, last category is just pretty much anything we didn't touch on that we want to. So anywhere, uh, Andy, you want to start with uh, anything else you want to touch on? Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the um, musical turns when there was any sort of large spacecraft on the screen. Like, I feel like the score was going a certain way, and then as soon as you saw, like, a large spacecraft, like, landing, taking off, or whatever, it changed the score, and you got this, like, really awe-inspiring, like, awesome music, like you were seeing something, like, super majestic and, and, and rare. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, the the soundtrack is definitely something that stuck out to me, also. I, I really like yes. the soundtrack. I haven't yeah. made it a point to just, like, find it on Spotify and start to listen to it, but I definitely will in the next couple of days. Apparently there's like three different ones. Really? Yeah, there's three different there's like the atmospheric one, there's like the actual like I think score from Hans Zimmer and then there's there's some other one that's that's weirder and it called something different. I can't remember what it was. Okay. Battle yeah, I knew the, the score. I knew Zimmer did the score, so I'm I'm curious to see how that turns out. Like just listening to the soundtrack, I'm I'm curious. But uh I th- I thought the special effects were were really pretty awesome, um, and just like the overall, uh, I think we touched on it before, like the themes of the different um, houses, I thought was really cool. Yeah, I, I I really hope that we get to see more houses like uh, in, in in other parts. Yeah, flesh out the world a little bit more. Yeah, it's like a galactic senate. <laughs> uh, Ian, what stuck out to you? Anything else? So I think one of my favorite parts, I guess this could have gone in the direction of storytelling in this film, is when um, Leto says to Paul, you know, Leto, Paul says, you know, my uncle, my granddad was out there fighting boars. You know, he wasn't a coward waiting behind. He was out there fighting boars. And Leto says, bulls, bulls sorry, bulls. And that's what did him in. And then you see on the gravestone of their granddad, him fighting a bull. Like he yeah. died how he lived. You see the bull's head a lot throughout the film. I I really just like that they did say they just said uh, they just showed you the tombstone. They got that point across of what happens. That's the part of that I think whole choices thing I talked about earlier with that. Yes, with it was the bull, two points. You get the horns. There, you're right, Andy. There is two points. <laughs> um, I really like that. And then uh, like Andy mentioned with the battle scene. I think part of why like the switch is turned on and it goes really fast is. I, Part of that's just to show how quickly they took over Akrates. Like, 
that battle does not last long. There was a thorough ass kicking of a coup. And yeah. That was some of the most awe inspiring fighting sequences I've seen in maybe ever. Like it was just desolation. It 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 reminded me back when I was uh like in two thousand five seeing those like night vision videos of when the US was bombing Iraq when we were invading. Like just sheer devastation and like absolute power overwhelming, you know, like it felt like not it felt like that real sense of devastation that you really felt like they are destroying this whole city and everyone involved and you see the troops come marching in and it's like they're not having any real trouble forming in it was that sense of despair really i think got brought through in that moment like they're fucked this is <laughs> yeah not, yeah this can only go one way and they and they kept trying to give you like glimpses of like Atreides has a little bit of hope like they their line mm-hmm. held up the stairs and then the guys dropped in behind him and they're like oh nope yeah, yeah that's still fine. <laughs> kind of fuck now there's no chance and I, I that movie it did so many things so well with that battle sequence that that I maybe if and if anything in this movie that's the one moment where you have to be in a theater I think to see maybe like maybe that's on that epic scale of the theater that is needed for that <laughs> moment but. It was it, like I said, like the, if you could give out Oscars for four minutes, that that wins all of them for every year going <laughs> forward. It was honestly just a brilliant piece of filmmaking, and it was great to see it. Um, other thoughts I had, like you know, like I said, they've cut a lot of stuff out with this to fit it in. You know, people don't care about the political intrigue. It's part of the issue people have with the prequel movies is that we learn too much about the Trade Federation and their system of taxation on the galaxy. <laughs> and this movie skips right past it. Spice is really important. It's the only way we can travel. Uh, that's a good house. That's a bad house. The emperor just wants to make both houses weaker. It cut through it real quick. It established stuff. I think this is one of the films we've had the least amount of. Why did this plot point occur for like major plot stuff out of some of the films we've watched in the past where I think. And I, I'm not saying that makes it a bad film, like that it was more simply understood, but I think it just it effectively told a story that people didn't think it could. I I thought it was really well done, and I and honestly, I never thought I'd see a Dune movie that was good, and I uh, <laughs> I saw one. That there is value in being succinct in what you're telling. I'm done. Okay, I guess that means I'm up. <laughs> yeah, I figured you spin um, from that, Mike. Go for the, it. The only thing uh, that really hasn't been mentioned is beyond the you know the soundtrack and the score and all that. It's just the sound design and the way things sound from the dragonfly ships to you know swords hitting the shields that they're wearing. It, all of it sounded natural. There was not a something that happened in the movie where I'm like, man, that sounded off. You know, like, everything sounded the way that it looked like it should sound. Um, And when you're creating that in a world like Dune, that's kind of tough to accomplish. Um, It is. I I will say one thing uh, on that comment, though. I thought the, um, like, the weird, like, moments where Paul was having visions and you could sort of, like, hear, like, the... You can almost make out voices in the background, like real, real subtly in the background. I thought they used that effect too often, and it got a little, a little bit annoying to me. Okay. Hmm. Uh, you, you get a lot of that when the credits roll too. You get like the sort of like voices you can't make out in the background. 
See, that yeah, didn't I happen in more my it... showing. There was no voices in the credits. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know if I remember any voices in the credits, but I remember like the the third act of the movie more or less that I feel like I again I think I noticed it more the second viewing, maybe just because it was at home and I could hear a little bit better. But the the low voice that Andy's talking about that's in the background during visions and stuff like that, it's somebody is like whispering stuff to him, and I still don't really know I guess who or what that is. If that's just his consciousness whispering stuff, if that's a person whispering stuff, but they are tied to the visions. They were hard to hear in the theater with the loud sound system, but I could hear them a little bit better at home. You don't just mean like the narration of like the visions, right? Or is that what you're talking about? Not like the, not like what Zendaya says. Like there's, there's definitely somebody. And I noticed that the most in the right before his fight and around Mm -hmm. the fight at the end that there, during that vision specifically, there's like almost every vision he sees, there's someone whispering something there, something, but it's indiscernible. You can't, you don't know what they're saying. You know, but you can hear like mm-hmm. someone's I whispering. I think I know who it is, but that's just because they changed the narrator of the visions from the books and the movies. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming that it's the narrator from the book is the one speaking at that point, which okay. is a character we haven't met yet. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Mike, do you have uh, anything else? Anyways, yeah, sorry, Mike, I didn't mean that. No, 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 you're fine. That, that's really all I was getting at was just, you know, the general sound design, you know, the... I guess the sound design gave weight to the worms when you heard it that you're talking about something that needs that and it did it very well because when they're on sand it's still tough to convey that. So and it, I like that effect too well. that like just to see how it moves through the sand like the vibrations of the sand to get it to go through. Yeah. Like I dug all that stuff too. I thought that was really cool. It was digging too. <laughs> Touche. Um I, I liked actually the uh, how how silent it was when it was above ground. Oh yeah, I thought that was really cool. And um, I, I the Chris that she gives to Paul that Zendaya gives to Paul it says that it's a tooth from whatever great sandworm's name is. Yeah, was that the sandworm that that confronted him? No, because I that's I don't think that sandworm actually exists. Like it's part of their 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 culture's mythology of like the one great worm, you know. Okay. So it did exist, but it doesn't anymore. Yeah, because okay. I mean, it could, you know, like you know, like there's always that mystical beast off in the horizon, maybe that would show up, but you no one would have seen it recently. So everyone thinks at least it doesn't exist. It could, but you know. I haven't seen the Phoenix in a while, but that doesn't mean it doesn't show up in Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if I have it. You guys pretty much covered everything I was going to talk about, like score, special effects, all that stuff I thought was really well done and really cool. Helped accentuate the movie, flesh it out some more. Um, I don't know. There's there's very little I feel like that I've bad to say about this movie. I was very like, I think I expected a good movie just because I, I trust Denny V and what he does. I don't think I, sort of like Ian, not that I had any source material to go off of, but I did not expect it to come together this well. And it's definitely going to be high on my list, I could already probably tell you, for movies of 2021, whenever we get to that list. Uh, I, I, I can't guarantee it'll be number one, because I still haven't seen Ghostbusters yet, and there's a good chance that's going to lap everything, but... There's also a Spider-Man. Uh, that's true, Yeah. So it's going to be, it could be a tight race for my top three. So we'll see how this goes. But 
yeah, for, for right now, this is hands down one of the best movies I've seen this year, for sure. Um, so I don't know. I guess if we're if we're tying this up, should we end with a rating? Real ten. One other scene I want to mention. Okay. It's on. I think it's on Kaitan, which is the Emperor's homeworld. When uh Peter, you know David Dalameshain is there visiting to get the Sardakar, the Sardakar, those soldiers, and yeah, yeah. you know they're being initiated in this group. But behind them on this raining planet is a bunch of naked men chained to pyramids upside down. And I'm, I don't remember that specifically from the book, but I just, that was such a powerful telling of fuck that sucks. You know, like that sucks. <laughs> Not to mention, I think they were draining blood from them, right? And I wasn't sure if that around. was the rain or the blood, but yeah, you know, like, I think, yeah. I think they were draining them. They were like putting it, was it in an upside down crucifixion on a pyramid. Yeah. If you look they were close enough the blood and... on all the soldiers. If you look close enough in the background, Pinhead's there and the Cenobites are also there taking care of all that. That's all just them. Why'd that's you, the, why'd you that's, give that's, out spoilers of who the Emperor is? It's House Cenobite. <laughs> that's all it is. It's. Did you guys get the feeling that uh, the whatever courier or whatever was telling them to assist the Harokin was uh, falsifying like orders? Did you guys get a vibe of that? Who? who? Like you talking about the mask, like the change, or are you talking about that the herald of the talking about herald Dave of the change or um Sheriff? yeah who Desmalchin Smolt yeah so the the scene you're talking about yeah. Ian yeah yeah do you feel like he was he was telling them to help even though the emperor didn't actually give that order no he did like. Oh, okay. He gave the order. In the book, it's different because they they dress up as Harkonian soldiers, so no one knows that the Emperor's involved. And this, they are very much... It's, everyone knows the Emperor's involved in this coup. <laughs> That's okay. one divergence. Uh, and, you know, because, like I said, it's just like Terminator Genesis. And <laughs> I, I... So he wasn't lying to him. I don't think it'd be easy to trick the guy who drains the Emperor's elite fighting forces. <laughs> Even if you are a mentat, but I, I, I do, I just like that recruitment scene too. Just the show, like uh, we're gonna kick Duncan Idaho's ass. Like who, who, who? Kick yeah, the emperor is definitely playing his hand at that point. Like I have the power to send whoever the fuck I want to take it down this house, and mm -hmm. I'm gonna do it. Like it, that was more of a like I think um, Paul or Leto mentioned like you know what's happening to us is. The night it, Paul mentions this is the nightmare of all of the great families, and the emperor. I think in this version is just being more overt about showing his power. Yeah, because I mean, the not dressing up like, even if he is expecting maybe complete annihilation, someone's gonna know the emperor was involved. You know, like people would know, and he's being yeah. not as secrety about it. Gotcha. Uh, anything else? Are we good for ratings? There's a person Good. in the film called Shout Out Maps, and I just want to say that. <laughs> See, is he is that a character or yes, someone in the credits? It's, it's okay. one of the the um Fremen, I believe, in the film. Okay. She's oh, that's the maid. The like house cleaning lady. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I just really like the name Shout Out. <laughs> uh all right, so out of ten, what do you guys give it? Uh Mike, we'll start with you. Out of ten, what do you think? You know, it's something that I think if it ended on what I'd consider a more round note, you know, a more, like, neat 
ending, I guess, I, it, it would be really close to a 10 for me. Um, as is, I'll, I'll go a nine and a half. Okay. Uh, Andy, what do you think out of 10? Uh, I was going to give it an eight and a half. Any reason for the eight and a half? Um, they throw a lot of information at you, uh, pretty quickly throughout the whole, like you're learning everything. If you don't know anything about like any of the, the lore of Dune or anything, they, they throw a lot at you and it's a lot to, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. So, um, and they don't exactly do it in the most interesting way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Ian out of 10, what do you think? We'd give it an eight. I don't, it's, it's really good. Like I said, it's a really good film, but it, it's not at that next level of filmmaking, I think, to go higher than that. It's a really good film, but it just doesn't have something as you know as amazing as even the original Blade Runner or Ghost in the Shell. Or it wasn't shot in 4 by 3 It just doesn't have something to bring it up to that next level. It's a really great sci-fi film. It's a great film, but it's not on that tier above of films that are the theater personified. It's okay. it's just not there. Maybe when it's complete. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I absolutely love this film. I think it's very well done. It's hard for me to find anything that I don't like about it. I'm, I'm on par with Mike. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I feel like I'd give it a 10. If it, if this was a, felt a little bit more self-contained and I feel like my rating could change based on whatever part two does. Like, if you could basically watch this and part two together as just one long story, I feel like it will strengthen part one. We hope. So I'm very anxious to see what part two does. Uh, anything else from you guys? I think that's where we'll wrap it up. Not Make the, him fuck oh. the worm in the next one. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that'll happen, but keep dreaming, buddy. You. you I mean, I read thing. the book. I know. <laughs> Uh, Alright, if you've enjoyed the show, please support us. Leave a five-star rating and review. You can give us a share on social media. Make sure to follow or subscribe to the show. Keep up with us. We are on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Anchor, Stitcher. Hopefully anywhere you're listening to a podcast, you can find us. Search us out on Facebook. Search Brygon and Superfriends. Go to facebook.com slash Superfriends. You can leave us questions, comments, topics, suggestions, any of that stuff there. Uh, try to email us, Superfriends at gmail.com. I haven't checked it in probably four or five months, so... If you email us now, it's probably another four or five months before I check it. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at BG Super Friends. I will see that. That we will respond to. Uh, feel free to follow me on Twitch, Jedi Bry Guy. That's Jedi with an I, Bry with a Y. Whenever so... we decide to <laughs> do another live show, we will do it there. Uh, we are getting closer to 250, where this is what, 241 or sorry, 242, I believe. Uh, so. Again, we're still spitballing ideas. Chances are we will try to do something live. I just don't know what it is yet. Uh, and it's probably still going to be a couple months away, but we will prep you whenever we get closer and uh, try to give you some more details leading up to that. Uh, but that's it for us. On behalf of Andy, Ian, Mike, and myself, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you guys next time. Man, we ain't found shit.